At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Conspiranormal. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks, and we've, uh, I guess, recovered from the uh, Strange Realities Conference. Still recovering, I think. Yeah, so... The interview that you're going to hear with Tobias Whalen, I actually recorded a couple of days before the conference, so you guys are going to hear that with him, and we're going to talk about his new book and uh, several stories that um, that he has collected from it. But we thought we'd take a little bit of time and talk about uh, the conference and how it went and uh, just kind of like, I guess, our general takeaways from it. Um I have not, as of yet, sat down and fully watched all the presentations. Me neither. Uh, I, I checked out some of some of them. Um, yeah. I definitely checked out where I was uh, given a mystical Peruvian whistle sound bath. We have pictures of that. Brent, Brent Rains and his, and his wife and Katie yeah, on stage. Yeah. And uh, that was an experience. Yeah. Uh, you, you said you actually felt the vibrations or you felt something. Yeah. Uh, there's there. like a little tickle in your ear and the, the different frequencies create these like binaural kind of uh, rhythms where they intersect. So, yeah. And they, they said that actually they usually do that over five minutes. So I, I was just like a micro dosing. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty cool that, uh, that we got to do that. And, uh, like I said, there's, pictures and there's film of it uh, up up as well so another um, special mystical moment was um alan greenfield doing that uh proto lbrp ritual yeah that he he got from what's lbrp lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram thank you but that was really special um and the fact that it's like an ancient version of it you know and he he did that uh for everybody there did you uh what did you think about that when it happened yeah i got to see it that was really really interesting um of course as the one of the organizers of this thing it was kind of hard for me to sit still 
Yeah, we can watch. never really just sit back and enjoy <laughs> and watch it. But but I did see I did see that, and uh, unfortunately on the stream it actually um, it actually froze up while he was doing that. Yeah, I think. But some- Michael Hughes was there, and he got uh, the he got it. So I'm gonna post that up on the uh, Facebook streaming site sort of streaming group for everybody okay, cool. that went to the conference so they can actually they can actually see that but uh yeah it was him and olaf phillips who brought uh well that's alan's publisher but he brought uh alan up to nashville from atlanta he flew out from san francisco i think from bay area and then he uh went and uh, picked alan up and then drove him up to nashville yeah that was and, real special we got to have some uh, private conversations with alan uh, in the green room. Yeah, yeah. And he, he imparted some ancient mystical secrets on us about Carrie Thornley, and that was pretty, that was one of the highlights. Yeah, that really was one of the highlights for me as well. But we were just kind of running around the whole time and making sure that um, the technical side of things was running well, which was quite the endeavor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, there was a little bit of hiccups, but uh, thanks everyone for being patient with those. And uh, Phil... And Ren did such a great job uh, making that happen. Uh, and I, I don't really think many people have done what we were doing as far as, you know, having these incoming uh, incoming presentations remote and then feeding them back and feeding them also onto the big screen for everyone to see who's yeah. physically there. Right. And even some, like, interaction with us on stage and the – speaker on the screen and us like kind of getting to interact and talk with the speaker on the screen so that was that was really cool i'm I'm glad we found a way to do that that was really uh thanks to rob's mm-hmm. mix master abilities on the mix master board rob. yeah yeah well, yeah special shout out really to those guys to phil and to ren who also spoke at the conference and then um phil did a lot of the kind of the audio visual stuff um manned like the uh, the powerpoints and all that because we had like a system going where um we had to do the powerpoints there and we had to do the powerpoints for online at the same time so yeah so that went that went really well and, and fairly smooth uh, so special shout out to him and then also to Ren who did kind of more the directing part for the actual stream. Um, and then also Rob, of course, you know, he's just invaluable, uh, really helping us out with that too. Um, being was, the sound guy yeah. there. So it was, it was quite the endeavor. Um, yeah, we learned yeah. a lot. Um, we learned how to do it. Um, next year we are probably going to separate the online only presentations from the physical ones yeah that's kind of what we're thinking we're we're kind of playing with that idea um but But, yeah you're you're right i mean it was quite an endeavor um for us to do it as we did it and really only the reason that we mix these things is because um just because of covid and just because of the uncertainty so we didn't know who maybe could not come like we so we had we had some speakers that um a week or even the day before that we're supposed to be there, but could not actually come. So, um, I actually found that out like pretty much the day before the conference that Kiki Dombrowski wasn't going to be able to make it. Right. Cause not only could she not do her, like she wasn't going to be able to physically be there, 
but she also was sick, so she could not come, and but she also could not actually do her presentation. So I ended up filling it, filling in, which I did the whole like everything is demons about the Warrens, yeah, and traditionalist Catholicism because obviously I already had that ready, so and it was, I was able it was, to just step in. Yeah, it was, it was uh, you. You'd had some practice on it, so it was a great, a great presentation. Yeah. Right, yeah, I had plenty of practice on it because I not only had I given it for our meetup, but also talked about it with both Soraya and Recluse on those two episodes. So I guess it was probably a repeat for some people, but I guess for the general like online audience, it, it was not. So I think some people got some good out of it. Um, but yeah, it was just a big, crazy time. So I mean, we can kind of talk a little bit about just like the course of it. Um, you know, everybody started arriving pretty much on Thursday, but all got here on Thursday, uh, got him checked in, got, you know, went out, got somebody to eat. Uh, we did a little bit of setup on Thursday night. Ren had been here since like Monday and we ended up going over there, set some stuff up. And then you got Phil here on Friday. We set more stuff up on Friday, got everything in there working and then Friday night um, was just live yeah, um, there right. on site. And we started off with Banal. Um, and then uh, Josh, Cutchin, Aaron Gullius, and Ren uh, finished it up that night. And we had a DJ that evening, too. So yeah, that was we a had pretty a, full evening. We had a space disco. And I think the majority of uh, everyone there kind of like were tired of being cooped up in the room. So they went out in the halls. But um, I think the we did a little Zoom after party. Yeah, that was cool. And I think you guys really enjoyed the uh, UFO disco. So that was that was fun. Um, yeah, you put the we put the. We got everybody in on Zoom, people that were watching online. I posted it on the on the streaming page and then you were able to put that on put the stage, that on the, yeah. on the uh, like on the projector, mm-hmm. which was that was a really cool thing too. So and everyone was dancing and having a good time and dressing up like Mothman. <laughs> yeah, and, I think uh, did Marco do that? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that Friday night was was a blast. I didn't get out of there until real late, so I wasn't. Uh, I know you. You did some after partying at the hotels. Yeah, because I needed to take Ren back. I had to take him back to the hotel, so I stayed and hung out a little bit with. Um, I think Nathan was there by then, and um, uh, Recluse. Well, he showed up Thursday night, but uh, he was there, and we just all kind of hung out for. I, I think I hung out for about an hour. I didn't stay too long. Yeah, I was, kind I was of pretty this real, exhausted <laughs> by that point. This real core group. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just you know what they say about like the hallway conversations and the after parties and stuff. It's really true. Right. I mean, it's, right. I learned so much and got got the scoop on so much um, brewing and developing research and things that aren't uh, you know generally for the for the public yet from all these uh, uh, geniuses and uh, there's really nothing like the experience of being there and getting to have conversations and make connections with people and having a circle of like, you know, five or six of these people standing around all just riffing off each other. It's really special. Yeah. That was, that, that was really special. And we did a little bit of that at the, of course at the hotel and then also like, you know, there's a little outside area with a little table you could sit down at SIR and, which also I, I should point out, you know, shout out to SIR too. They really, yeah. Laura and Andy and 
all the guys have very accommodating there um really awesome place and um when we did it in 2019 uh there was no like we did not stream that online it is online because my cousin filmed it but um that was like after the fact and but since covid happened a lot of bands because they're they're a they're a practice space and a lot of bands uh, started streaming online so they started catering to that yeah and so that was perfect for us yeah they and had the infrastructure had it, already yeah, in place. we had it we had it pretty much built in and um i did have a little like wi-fi hotspot that i cellular wi-fi hotspot that i bought just in case but it, it was smooth yeah. all throughout the whole thing so we didn't thankfully never had to actually use that um Saturday was good. It was kind of a, 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 mish, a mishmatch. Had a few technical difficulties, but not anything really too bad. And I think that's we need to make a technical difficulties uh, graphic. But uh, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's just like for what we were trying to do. That's just was going to be naturally. I think was going to be something that that happened. Right. And and all the attendees were you know hanging out on the chat and. Uh very patient with us. So we appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And like some of them were blown away by how quickly we did resolve things. We had a presentation that we lost internet on, but the presenter had yeah, a pre-recorded version yeah. that we were able to play, you know, it wasn't seamless, but that worked out really well. So the show went on. Um, we just learned a lot, you know, this was the hybrid form and I think we're going to continue with the hybrid form as our final form though. We're definitely going to tweak it. Yeah, and I hope that next year we're going to have a lot more people that are going to be able to be there. I think we're 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 talking actually presenters is what I'm talking about, yeah. and, and 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 of course attendees. I'd love more people to be able to attend live. It's just that with COVID Delta and everything, it just was um, yeah still real liminal in between. Yeah, 2021 is it really is the liminal year. Um, so we're hoping 2022 we're going to be really just like busting it out next Double year. Double deuce. But um, what we're kind of thinking is, is like probably fewer speakers next year and maybe give speakers a little more time on their presentations. We had some that did kind of go over. Yeah. Uh, so like I think on Sunday, we kind of ate into lunch a little bit, but that was okay because I still had plenty of pizza left from the night before. And, yeah. And there was a microwave, so it worked out fine. And you know, the I noticed <laughs> the, uh, with, with all like the, the ordering apps for food now, Yeah, it really makes this kind of stuff easier and like you know people were really just taking advantage of that and getting stuff ordered right so people weren't having to like leave and get stuck in traffic and miss presentations and things like that overall i mean do you have any um uh, presentations that really st stood out to you well um i'd have to say that like i said um part of it was like i had to do things and another part of it was just like i just could not sit, sit still so i was constantly going from one place yeah. to the other checking on things um so i really need to go and back and that's the beauty of this i can go back and watch the presentations um i i liked aaron gullius's i thought it was interesting that, that was really cool i thought it was interesting that aaron and um on Friday and Dr. Future on Sunday, both cited the same obscure Ron Ormond movie. <laughs> right. Which I'm not sure that, uh, they, <laughs> which I did, which was kind of an interesting synchronicity. Um, per, the, of the ones that I saw, um, I'd say that because well, mostly the ones that I, that I got to see were on Friday night. 
Um, I was pretty impressed by Dr. Finley's as well. Um, I've actually editing that because we did these in blocks, so uh, they're not separated by individual speakers. But uh, I edited it down for him, and he's actually going to show it to his class. Very so, honored. Um, yeah. Um, Jose's was very good on Sunday. Um, I thought that was very excellent. I thought the banals was great on, on, on Friday evening, Michael Hughes, what I did get to see of it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's one I really want to go back and listen to watch again. Stevens, uh, Renz. I think everybody really, uh, they really brought their game on all this and, did these like really awesome presentations. Yeah. Nathan's um, was really cool. Um, yeah. and gave us kind of a preview of, uh, some of the Penny Royal season two stuff. Um, that was really well put together and fascinating. Um, we definitely got a, uh, we had a preview of some of the stuff that Chris Ernst covered, uh, but right. he went into a lot more depth on some of the stuff. So it was a different presentation than the one that he presented in the mystic crew. Um, and we'd had a couple of question and answer sessions and we had like, uh, Soraya gave a little bit of, uh, ideas is like some of his ideas about, uh, about the paranormal. And then he did kind of more like a engagement with the online audience and question and answer session on that. And we did a question and answer session with, uh, Timothy Renner to end the night on sat on Sunday that I thought went really well. And we actually pulled, uh, Josh up on the, on stage with him for just a little bit, uh, Tim was actually um, broadcasting in. So, and of course, I mean, Alan's, um, we just pretty much, I mean, I had that allotted for an hour. I made the decision to just go ahead and just let him go for like, it was like an hour and 40 minutes. Keep rolling. With with Greenfield, that's kind of what you got to do. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but I felt like everybody, you know, Greenfield was kind of the draw that night. And I felt that the, everybody was going to get get their money's worth as far as like, Oh yeah. yeah, we had a lot of people there watching yeah. Alan. So that was real fun. Um, and I'm just looking at this list. There's so many I need to go back and and check out because we were running around doing so much stuff. Really want to revisit David Metcalf's. Um, I really want to revisit um, Doctor Futures and Recluses, yeah. which right. were as usual like the parapolitical end of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Recluse talked about like all this craziness revolving around fundamentalist Mormon sex. And that was pretty wild. Uh, definitely want to go back and check that out. Um, Oh, Heather Mosier's was really cool Yeah, about the moral panics and going back to Roman times. Right. Yeah. She was the first one. She was kind of the Guinea pig on Saturday because we kind of worked our technical difficulties out. (laughs) Yeah. Cause she was the first on really solely online presentation of the day of the conference. So thanks to thanks to everybody who who were the digital guinea pigs. Yeah, um, but I think like a big takeaway from this is that uh, we we definitely overbooked, uh, but we wanted all of these people to be able to speak. These are all people who we uh, you know have personal uh, correspondence yeah. friendship with, and um, next year will probably be less people. And we're still we're still kind of going from the model that we did in 2020, which was everybody stuck at home, and yeah, there's yeah. still a lot. We had a lot more people. Um, I think really we had about 25 people all together that showed up for the conference. Um, non speakers, yeah, that were there um, in attendance, and but we had about a hundred people that signed up for the online. Yeah, so. Um, 
And also, too, I mean, doing online stuff, I'd like to try to move away from Facebook if we can, but that's yes. that's a whole other thing. And 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 I would stay tuned for um, Kiki, and uh, she's gonna. Hopefully, we're gonna. We've got some plans, I guess, mm-hmm. for the for the new year, and yeah, hopefully, we're gonna re- include her with that. If we want to, do you want to talk about that? Uh, basically, it's still in formation, but we we want to keep. Um, this momentum going with Stranger Realities, the brand, and and find ways to uh, do what we've been doing in the Mystic Crew, which is for our $10 patrons. We've been having monthly uh, hangouts where we have a presentation, just like one presentation, um, by a lot of these same characters who were part of the Stranger Realities 2021 lineup. Uh, we want and we've been to, doing that for a few months now. Yeah, yeah. And we want to like bring that to a larger audience. Uh, so we're thinking about having a, a kind of a strange realities um, talk kind of thing every month uh, that's open to the public, probably for a very small uh, admission fee. And so the Mystic crew will still be able to uh, use their benefit to get in. Uh, but we want to offer that to everyone else and put it under the umbrella of strange realities. Yeah. I think tentatively we're looking at probably January of doing yep. something. Um, and this will be one speaker um, and it'll be more like a night with so-and-so, yeah. you know, that, that, that type of thing. And where like the speaker can give a presentation and then hang out and talk. And it'll be a little more of a loose format than something that's like as regimented as, these conferences have to be because you right. have limited time. You would think that you're doing an all day conference, but I'll tell you what, like you got to keep it. If you got nine speakers, like that's yeah. your day. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. I was really happy about, um, and you know, I'm always kind of surprised like how many people came from all around the country too. Yeah. Uh, we had someone from Los Angeles, uh, we had someone from yeah. Colorado. Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, you just go up and start talking to people and they're like, yeah, I came in, you know, from across the country. We got interviewed. Yeah. For a magazine that yeah. should be coming out soon. We'll let you guys know about that. Um, yeah, it was just, it was great, you know, to, to see how much, uh, how much this stuff meant to people and, uh, getting the feedback and how much, people really enjoyed and were just amazed at how many quality speakers and how much fascinating material we presented at this conference. So it just makes me really proud. Yeah, it was quite an undertaking. Um, this, you know, um, I said in 2019, this is like the biggest thing I've ever done. And then 2020, this is the biggest thing I've ever done. And then 2021, I was like, biggest thing I've ever done. Yeah. So it's like every year, um, I think it gets bigger and bigger and better, bigger, and that you know next year, hopefully we will not have the restrictions that we kind of felt that we had this year. And yeah, so it's we can be a bigger thing. So we can really promote locally next year, right? And uh, just show people that um, we were, you know, we're still having having trouble really figuring out how to brand this because it really is a different kind of paranormal conference. And like, how do we really communicate that to the larger public? I think a lot of people who don't think that they're interested in the paranormal, don't identify as that, um, would really enjoy this conference. Um, and I'm sure they would enjoy the lineup that we're going to have for next year. Um, I, I think just like the show, 
I right. think it's reflective of the show. I think it's reflective of Conspiranormal. And what we have striven to do over the last few years, especially in the last couple of years, which is have a much more kind of more sounds. Elitist, yeah. How do you do it? intellectualist basis on some of this, on some of this stuff yeah. and really just kind of digging deeper than just like, Oh, I saw Bigfoot and I shot it. Yeah. You know, the, you know, like that's, that has its place, but, uh, on cable television. Yeah, it has its place. But if you want to dig deeper, I think, you know, uh, strange realities conference is the place you want to go. So, uh, is there anything else do you do you want to add on this? Not really. I just really want to thank everybody who came yeah. in um, person or online. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, you're enabling us to continue to do this next year. We really want to, you know, continue to grow and have a lot of fun, and encourage everybody to come. Uh, in person because like we were talking about there's really there's really nothing like it um all these people are very accessible there's no uh you know star personalities who you can't just go up and have a conversation with so right and i want to add uh you know that uh also what surfiel said um i want to thank our listeners i want to thank the people that took the time to buy a, a ticket and to see it. Um, but also we, to go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. But, but also to say um, that it is still available because um, this thing is um, recorded and it's on the Facebook group, private Facebook group, and it is available. And three of these are recorded. Yeah. If, it, yeah, that's true. Three of these are recorded. One is available for free. But if um, you're interested for the time being um, to see it, um, just hit us up, conspiranormalgmail.com. Um, we can try to get you in, just maybe for like a a, a fee. And also, um, the um, so the conference kind of continues, even though it's officially over. It is still there, and people can go back and watch it. But also, t-shirts are also still yes, available. That's what I was going to say. We got yeah. plenty of t-shirts. We probably got too many, um, but that's okay because we wanted uh, everyone to get one who wanted one uh, rather than the uh, opposite. So we'd rather yeah. have too much than too little. I think we're out of 2XL and 3XL. Unfortunately, there's no, there's, there's no, uh, there's no tents for the big old boys, but yeah, a lot of big boys in the paranormal. Uh, but we do have plenty of extra larges on down this large and medium in both green and tan. If you guys are interested that you attended the conference, uh, hit us up again. Let us know if you want, if you want one, you can, it's a message. One of us on Facebook or Instagram, Normal at gmail.com and uh, we'll be happy to send you a shirt so you know because if not we're going to be selling them at a discount price next year <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like I mean I, I recently went to a Rolling Stones concert with, with my dad and um, you know everyone's got like their favorite tour shirts from the different tours different years so maybe you'll be yeah. like that you know right yeah, I don't think the Rolling Stones have any trouble selling T-shirts. But, yeah, yeah. Um, but cool. 
All right, guys, uh, that's it. Uh, just we're going to be making announcements the rest of the year. I've got uh, slowly getting things rounded up for the rest of the year. Going to have some some great guests for you guys. We are back from break. Glad to be back, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Tobias Whalen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, everybody, welcome back to Conspiranormal. And as I'm recording this, uh, we are still two days away from doing the Strange Realities Conference, but this show will actually come out after. So we're hoping everything went really well. <laughs> but uh, we've got uh, Tobias Whalen here with us uh, this evening, and we're going to talk about his book, uh, Strange Tales of the Impossible. Um, well, Tobias, I uh, want to welcome you back to Conspiracy Normal, man. It's been a it's been a little bit. I think um, maybe a little over a year and a half that I actually talked to you before. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me back. Uh, that sounds about right. It, it would have been when uh, Lake Michigan Mothman uh, High Strangers in the in the Midwest came out, I think, which was yeah. and like the last part of 2019. Probably. Yeah, I think it was February of 2020 because we had, uh, you were episode 299 and we did our 300th episode right um, after that. So I think it was like, maybe even late January, I think was when we did that. We did that episode. So yeah, a lot of things have changed since then. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. And this is like episode 380 seven i want to say this will be 387 so yeah it's been it's been a little bit of a minute so uh yeah we talked about that book uh the lake michigan mothman back then and now you have a new book um i guess well we're recording this on october 13th but is the book out now or is it coming out it, it is out now actually okay uh, this was 
this this was one that kind of flew under the radar somewhat uh, because it wasn't like Lake Michigan Mothman where you've got this you know very public, uh, very publicized, frankly, uh, in, investigation that was ongoing. Um, and so sort of the marketing leading up to it, um, it just, it, it, you know, it, it, it didn't have that level of, I mean, I guess hype is the, the, the right word. Um, and, you know, we were busy doing other stuff and, and so, you know, it, it kind of came as a, a surprise to even some of our friends, you know, I had a, one or two of my friends who was just like, I didn't know you were writing another book. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I totally did. I've been doing it this whole time. So. Yeah, I've, I enjoyed it. I mean, you get to, of course, the flying humanoids are all over this one as well. Um, and I feel like you go a little bit more into some other cases that are not quite around because you, you focus primarily on like Chicago, obviously, and some cases in the Midwest. But then you talk about others that are in other locations across the United States as well. So it's not just uh, it's not just like restricted geographically as like that book was. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, we, we get reports from all over the place, uh, you know, really all like all over the uh, United States and in Southern Canada. Um, and, uh, and, you know, as, as far as sort of personal investigations, yeah, I mean, you know, it's largely uh, Wisconsin, which is where we live. We're in, we're in Southern Wisconsin, about 20 minutes North of the, the border with Illinois. And so we do a lot of stuff in, in Illinois, um, you know, Iowa, any, anything bordering Wisconsin, but we do get reports from all over the place. And, uh, and so, you know, I've spoken with, with witnesses and, and sort of looked into their experiences as well as, as I'm able to, you know, from here, uh, from, from, you know, all over the place. Right. And this book is a little bit more, not just flying humanoids, but it's also other types of, I guess you could call it strange physical phenomenon as well. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, physical, you know, I, boy, you know, like that, that, uh, that opens a whole nother can of worms when you try to, I think, define these phenomena, like in, in those terms, you know, physical, you know, physical versus metaphysical or, or uh, uh, even like uh, ephemeral or, or uh, disincarnate um, because a lot of it really seems to walk the line between uh, physicality and um, you know, uh, 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 spiritual or like more uh, uh, ephemeral uh, sort of, of uh, phenomena, you know, in, in, in how it interacts with people. But yeah, it really does get away a bit from the, the, the winged humanoid sightings, uh, although they are well represented because like it or not, a lot of what I do is investigating the, these winged humanoid reports because, you know, now that we're sort of known for that, um, people come to us with them. And uh, I, I'm certainly not going to turn anyone away, you know, who, who wants our, our help. But we do get a variety of reports and we've investigated a, a variety of, of weird phenomena. So, you know, I, I did want to be able to to sort of discuss those in this in this work as well. And so we really get into everything from, uh, you know, ghosts and hauntings, apparitions, uh, UFOs, uh, other types of, of cryptids, even weirder stuff. I mean, there was a, a, a woman I, I, uh, I spoke to in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, who had actually had a weird nighttime visitation uh, where she 
uh, woke up to find this amber colored orb uh, floating in, in the corner of her room. And she said that the orb was surrounded by what looked like this sort of solid charcoal colored cloud. And, you know, once I dug a little bit more into her uh, experience, it actually turned out that she'd had a lifetime of, of experiences of, of strange things happening to her. And, uh, and many of those things sort of uh, would be where I, I should say, I feel like many of those things would sort of be put in the box of, mm-hmm. um, you know, haunting phenomena and, and, and things like that. Right. And that's something that I have noticed in the time that I've, I mean, heard these stories about people that have had haunting phenomenon or they've had UFO phenomenon or seen a cryptid. Most often there is, they experience one of the other two. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think that I'm glad to have seen that, that you as a researcher were able to ask and then report on in this book uh, for people to understand that like none of this stuff should be in a box, but yet it, it kind of is. But um, again and again and again in this book and in others that I've read, that's what you hear. Um, and so sometimes when I've had guests on this show, I've actually asked them, well, if you had this other weird experience, this weird experience, what something else that happened to you? And nine times out of 10, I've had them say, well, yeah, I mean, I had something really weird happen to me. Um, also that had nothing to do with this. So that is something that is pretty common all across the board. It almost seems like there's a people that are more kind of just paranormally prone. Sure. Well, I, you know, it, 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 it could be that, you know, I, I think some of it uh, could be deliberate on the part of the phenomenon, um, you know, because there does seem in, uh, in some cases for there to be this, this level of, of interest shown in, in these individuals, you know, and, and the experiences that, that they have, you know, so um, you know, some of it could be, uh, uh, again, that that certain people are just more perceptive in, in certain ways, um, you know, or, or, you know, have are, are just favored somehow in, in being able to experience things. But um, in a lot of cases, to me, it, it uh, seems like people are chosen in a way, really. You know, like I, I had uh, this uh, this woman up in Minnesota with whom I spoke. Uh, her name was Olga, and she told me about these uh, shadow people and anomalous balls of light that that uh, she and her family were seeing in in their home, and it all sort of seemed to be centered around her grandson, actually, to where um, you know. Uh, this this other child in their family actually witnessed one of the the shadow people observing him while he he slept, um, and you know when when she actually had her own uh, experience witnessing a, a shadow person in in their in their home, what she really saw was this shadow like being walking down the stairs away from his room, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so you take her experience and isolate it from everything else. And, uh, and you go, okay, well, you've got a ghost that walks down your stairs, I guess. But when you sort of combine that with everything else experienced, you know, in, in that house, you've got some stuff that, that seems like a sort of, of, you know, epiphenomenon, like the balls of light and stuff um, that, you know, may just be a sort of byproduct or, or, or related in some way to the, the, the shadow people, but not necessarily like the, the, the core phenomenon itself. Um, and then, you know, you've really got this, uh, this, this kid who seemingly is being observed for whatever reason, you know, by, by these, these shadow people, um, you know, it's very similar with the, uh, the, the woman with whom I, I spoke in, uh, Kenosha, um, because, you know, you had this sort of nighttime visitation experience. And that's another thing that I get into in, in, in the book is across the board in, in, in uh, every aspect of the, the paranormal, you have this weird commonality of, of nighttime visitation from everything from ghosts, uh, ghosts and hauntings to shadow people to, to alien abduction and, and UFOs and, and everything else. But anyway, so, you know, she wakes up and, and she has this, this nighttime visitation experience and then, um, you know, I, in going back with her and discussing the other experiences that she had had, uh, they very much seemed sort of, of targeted towards her and, uh, and, and in this case, one of, one of her brothers. Um, and, you know, there really was, was no kind of, of denying that. So I, I don't know, it, it, at least insofar as, as their experiences went. And so, you know, I didn't really see anything about them that would necessarily lend itself to them being able to observe these phenomena more than other people. Although there was one strange sort of thread that did emerge out of these uh, experiences and and speaking with, uh, with, with so many witnesses. And that was um, often, but not always uh, often people uh, among their other anomalous experiences would report uh, at least one instance, often multiple instances of psychic phenomena. You know, maybe they've had uh, experiences, uh, you know, with clairvoyance or, or you know, some form of telepathy or, um, you know, uh, precognition, you know, something along those lines. And so, you know, I, I don't know if that would account for the ability to see them or, or, or rather experience these things uh, is, 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 I think, a, a better way to put it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that necessarily accounts for their ability to have these uh, experiences or if that really is just something um, that might be a, a point of interest for whatever is, is interacting with them. You know, it's still very much uh, indeterminate at, at this point, but right. that, that was, you know, one thing that I, I noticed. Yeah. It would be hard to tell, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting that we can kind of, we can kind of look through this, like looking through a mirror darkly and we can kind of make these different kind of uh, correlations and, and look at it. But uh, you know, it doesn't, this does it mean what we think it means or is it, is there more to it? Is there less to it? Those are things that we just kind of like are yet to determine, but I I do find the cross section between the supposed different phenomenon 
as being highly interesting. Um, we should talk about your own personal experiences because you do include some of those in the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, that's, that's most of the reason that I, uh, I, I, I do what I do. I, I know it sounds like a, a cliche and certainly in the, the community, there's been some pushback um, insofar as, you know, people wanting to, to sort of justify researching things uh uh, because of different motivations. And, and that's great. You know, you don't have to have experienced this stuff to, uh, to, to want to, to research it or investigate it or, or just to, you know, be interested in it. Um, but that's why I am. I, I honestly probably would have been a, a relatively normal, if, you know, pretty nerdy guy, except for the, uh, the experiences that I, I started having um, from a, a very young age. You know, some of my earliest memories are of being terrified to go to bed. Um, and, you know, this is as young as, as you know, two or three in our, our well, the, the first home I actually remember um, when I was a kid. And I would be terrified to go to bed because I knew if I did, that there was a chance that something was going to, to, to come for me, you know? And, and so some of those earliest memories, you know, like most childhood memories, especially at that, that age, if you're talking, you know, two, three, four, five years old, um, they're, they're rather incomplete. You know, I've got flashes of things like being in bed and, uh, and having the covers pulled over my head because I was terrified. And that was my, my, my childhood solution at, at, at least for a while. Um, not that it was particularly, you know, uh, effective by any means, but, you know, being there in bed and having the covers pulled over my head and seeing the imprint of hands, you know, on the, on the outside of, uh, of this blanket, sort of slapping the blanket or, or pressing in on it, um, you know, waking up to a feeling of uh, uh, something uh, hard digging into my ribs, you know, like, you know, I was being lifted or, uh, you know, just those, those kinds of very early early memories. And then, you know, as I got older and, uh, and, and cognitive function improved, you know, I, I have more complete memories of, uh, of, of other experiences, like seeing shadow people, um, you know, darting around corners or, or hiding behind the garage. Um, and, uh, and, and I've had, um, you know, further experiences that uh, it's, they're just very difficult for me to explain. Like one uh, that I, I go into some detail about in the book, um, I was in my very early twenties and I was living at uh, my parents' house at, at that time. Um, and, uh, and I had gone to bed and everything was, was normal as far as I knew. And, um, you know, I, I went to bed like I, I always do. And I woke up in the middle of the, the night and um, it seemingly for, for, for no reason, like I, you know, there wasn't a loud noise or anything that, that woke me up. And so, you know, I look around um, as I suddenly find myself awake and, uh, and I notice everything's sort of in my room where it's supposed to be, except for my, my vantage point was skewed and because everything, everything looked a little off. And I realized very quickly that the reason for that was um, that I was floating, you know, several feet mm. above my, my, my bed. And so 
as I look to my left, I see this, uh, this figure that uh, looks like a, a shadow person. It literally just looks like a solid black silhouette of a, a, a man. Um, and I say man because it had this sort of specific, you know, male shape to it. Um, and uh, so this thing, whatever it was, uh, it's standing there. And uh, I had in that moment the, the overpowering feeling that I wasn't supposed to be awake for this. You know, I, I wasn't paralyzed or anything because I moved my head to look around, but I also felt like it was probably a really bad idea for me to, to try to move because again, I'm floating. I don't think I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, even be experiencing this. Well, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about the, about the floating um, that you had. Did you feel, did you feel like you were physically floating or did you feel like it was an out of body type of experience? Physically floating. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I, I didn't feel, it, it didn't feel like a dream, even a, a lucid dream. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, I was, I was out of my body. It felt like I was very much in my body and my body was physically floating, uh, you know, uh, two or three feet above my, my, my bed. And so that, that's a good question, honestly, you know, uh, cause some, uh, not to, to digress too much, but some people have just assumed that, you know, it, it was an out-of-body experience or, or some sort of astral perception um, without really asking me. So I'm glad that you actually asked because it didn't feel like that. And um, and so, you know, I, I look over, I see this thing. I don't think I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, uh, awake for it. And, um, and it reaches out its hand and I interpreted this as being comforting or, or trying to, to comfort me. And so it reaches out its hand and places it on, on my chest. And, uh, and then I'm lowered back down to my bed and it, it vanishes, you know, and I'm sort of lying there and uh, I'm on top of my, my covers, which I certainly didn't go to sleep uh, on, on top of my, my covers. Um, I, I very, very rarely do. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that part of that is sort of a, a relic from my, my childhood of, of finding comfort, you know, and hiding underneath the, the, the blankets. Um, so, you know, I'm sort of lying there uh, on top of, of my covers. And um, at this point, by that point in, in, in my life, frankly, and, and uh, you know, obviously still, still true today, um, I had sort of figured out that, you know, if these things, whatever they were, whatever had been interacting with me throughout my life, if, if I was going to be hurt, I, I'd be hurt by then, frankly, if, if, if they wanted to hurt me, I would be hurt. And so I never really got scared at, at, at that point, you know, so I'm lying there and I wasn't scared. I was just more confused than, than anything. Um, I didn't go wake my parents up because there's literally no point. Um, it wasn't going to change anything. It just would have made them tired and, and grumpy. Um, and so, you know, I just, I just laid there for a while and, um, and, and thought about it, realized there wasn't really anything I could do about it, nothing productive anyway. Um, and so I just went back to sleep and the, the next morning I, I woke up and, you know, I had that moment where I was just like, wow, you know, like that, that was really something I, I can't believe that happened. And, um, and that was, you know, that was kind of it, you know, it's been a very impactful experience and it's certainly one that I, I, I don't mind talking about. Certainly I, 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 I it took me a while cause it's very strange. And, um, you know, I think even for somebody like me who, who, uh, who deals with this stuff often, 
um, you know, as a researcher and, and, and investigator and writer, it can still be, or at, at least it was certainly when I, I first sort of came out um, with, with, with my personal experiences, uh, you know, there's still some um, reluctance at times to talk about stuff like this because of the, the ongoing societal stigma, you know, there's, there's been some, uh, some ground gained in that, I think, you know, over the last 20 plus years, but, um, but when it comes to really strange stuff, you know, like I think you can get away with seeing a ghost or a UFO or, or Bigfoot or, or something, as long as you try to explain it sort of within the context of scientific materialism, but when you experience something, you know, very, very strange, um, it can still, it can still be a, a, a scary to, to, to talk about, you know. So, um, but uh, you know, what was really interesting about that uh, to me was several years later, I'm at a wedding in Ohio. This was my cousin's wedding, and my brother and I, uh, you know, we were drinking at the. Uh, reception and then that ended and we're you know we didn't really have anything to do so there was a bar a few blocks away from the hotel so we decided we were going to go go hit that bar and at that time um, I hadn't told anybody about anything that that I had experienced because I I learned at a pretty young age that um, you know telling my parents again did no good and I I don't mean that uh, in any way to disparage my parents they're they're very loving you know kind good parents but you know, they, at that time, you know, when I was a kid, didn't really have the resources, I think, to deal with that kind of, of uh, phenomenon. And so they would, or set of phenomena, really. And so I think that they really just found it much easier and uh, uh, um, uh, a better, more sort of available way for them to deal with it, you know, was to just, it's just childhood nonsense, you know? Um, and so like, no, you didn't really see that go back to bed. Um, and so I had never really told anybody, uh, uh, about anything that happened to me. And I would just happen to be getting drunk at this bar with my brother. Um, and, uh, you know, I was like, Hey man, have you ever seen anything weird in, in, you know, at, at mom and dad's house? Cause you know, uh, my, my personal opinion is that just, everybody in general, or at least this has been my experience is about three, three drinks away from telling me their paranormal story. And so we had gotten to like that level where I was just like, you know, screw it. Right. Um, and so I asked him and he was like, well, this is probably nothing, you know, like, but I, I remember, um, before I, I, I moved out, you know, cause he had moved out actually, as soon as he was, he was 18. And so this was in his, his later teen years. Um, and he said, I remember before I moved out, uh, waking up one night and seeing this black figure standing mm. next to my bed facing me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, he was like, I didn't really think too much of it. Um, I just, uh, I, I just closed my eyes and, and, and went back to bed but I heard that and I was just like, what the hell? Are you serious? Um, because that, I mean, that was corroboration, you know, uh, for this event that until then, you know, I, I, I could have been like, well, you know, it felt really real and I was there, you know, like it felt like I was there and it was really happening, but who knows? But then I heard that and, um, 
Yeah, I've I've had similar I've had that, that similar experience where a relative has seen something that I saw, and it, it, it's 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 really great corroboration that you know that what you experienced was real. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, it it, it I I guess I I, I don't want to overstate like my need for that corroboration. Cause I, I, I didn't feel like I needed it because like, like, like I said, I, I, the experience felt so real that I, I never really doubted that it actually happened in, in some sense. But I think for sort of my own sanity in some ways, you know, sort of having that, that, that uh, ace in the hole of, of, well, maybe I was hallucinating. So I don't, I don't necessarily have to worry about beings that just have instant access to me and can do anything they want anytime they want. Um, but, you know, once I heard that, I mean, that, uh, that, that kind of went out the, the, the window. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's, and it, it, it continues to happen. You know, I had my, uh, my sister came to me. This was after, you know, I had published Mothman and, and everybody in my family, of course, at that point knew um, that, that this was what, you know, what, what, what I did and and uh, had had read some of my uh, experiences. And so, you know, this this wasn't necessarily some groundbreaking corroboration or anything, but, you know, it, it, it is sort of this ongoing uh, phenomenon even at that house still because she came to me and said, Hey, you know, I, I was doing something in the the, the kitchen at uh, mom and dad's house the other day. This would have, this was relatively recently within like the past couple of years. Um, and well, it was post Lake Michigan Mothman. So it definitely would have had to been with, uh, within the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she, uh, she said to me, Hey, I, I saw what looked like this, this, shadow person or this human shadow in the the family room you know and and she told me that she th- thought that it must have been you know our grandmother coming back to visit her or something and 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 that's boy that's really common when uh, when when you speak with people because um so often they 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 have these narratives that they attach to their experiences you know i, I think everybody wants to be able to make sense of it and if they can make sense of it in a way that's comforting, then of course they're, they're going to do that. Um, and I have absolutely no reason to uh, expect that that's what actually happened, but you know, I wasn't going to take that away from her. Um, it is the kind of thing though, that as researchers and investigators, we really have to be on the lookout for all the time. Like if somebody, you know, comes to me and says, Hey, uh, I saw a ghost or, Hey, I saw Bigfoot or I saw Mothman or whatever, I'll, you know, I have to be like, Hey, slow down. Tell me what you really experienced. You know, don't tell me that you saw Bigfoot describe the creature that you saw and we can go from there, you know? Because- yeah. That's a good way to do it. That's a great way to do it. Cause I, I think popular culture front loads us. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you, you can't, start with the, the, the narrative, you have to start with the, the story, you know, and, 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 and just go from there. Um, you know, and it's one of those things where, again, like if it's my sister saying that she, you know, thought that maybe that was, uh, you know, our, our, our grandmother who had passed away coming back to visit, like, I'm definitely not going to be that guy. Cause it wasn't a case I was investigating or anything. So I was like, yeah, Hey, maybe, um, probably not, but yeah, Hey, maybe, you know, um, but uh, it is a really good example that I, I, I like to pull out uh, for people 
um, you know, just because it happened in, in, in my own life where, yeah, you get these, uh, these narratives that, that, that people want to attach to these phenomena and, uh, and there's really no basis, You're like no, 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 uh, evidential like basis for them to, uh, exist or, or, you know, be taken seriously necessarily. Um, and that's something, you know, uh, you see, especially with like shadow people, I mean, shadow people, seem to act like this sort of, you know, paranormal cipher where they're just whatever people want them to be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you're into ghosts and hauntings, that's what they are. If you're into alien abduction, then, you know, that's what they are. But I mean, really, you don't have any idea. And they sort of seem to cross the boundaries uh, between all of these, these otherwise uh, seemingly disparate phenomena. So who knows? Well, all these different entities that people encounter, these these beings that they see, you make the observation in the book that um, you feel like that we're being observed almost, like there's a feeling of that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, and, and that especially seemed evident to me uh, when it came to the nighttime visitation in encounters, you know, and that again, like what was so interesting about the, the nighttime visitation uh, experiences was that it, they really cross every aspect of the, the paranormal, you know? Um, well, and, and for anybody listening, who isn't sort of familiar by what I mean uh, by, by nighttime visitation, like these are experiences that happen um, at night, obviously. And, uh, um, usually involve people waking up to, to have their encounter. Um, and, you know, and they're normally in bed, but not always. Um, and, uh, and so sort of the, it, at the risk of being reductionist to sort of like, um, give you sort of the, 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 the base, uh, uh, narrative for, for these is that, you know, people will wake up to find something uh, invading their, their, their space, you know, um, could be, a uh, 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 great alien could be, a, a, a bright light out the window coming from some UFO could be, a, a ghost or apparition, um, could be an amber orb inside of a charcoal colored cloud. Who knows? Could be a, a shadow person when, you know, standing next to your bed. Um, and, uh, and it's just so, it was so interesting to me, you know, that, uh, that all of these different aspects of the, the, the unexplained sort of share this, this common event, that of, of waking up to find whatever it is, you know, um, st- sort of standing there and more often than not seemingly observing you, you know, um, well, for instance, I had uh, our uh, my, my my wife Emily and I had a, a have a friend Quinn, and uh, she told us about this experience. Well, series of experiences really that she had growing up in this this haunted house, and one of these things that that she would experience was seeing the apparition of this man wearing a, a tuxedo. And interestingly enough, the only really in focus part of this this apparition 
was the the tuxedo and and the rest of its its body anything that wasn't tuxedo seemed to be made out of this sort of gray misty substance and so anyway she told me um about one night uh, this was i think the actual last experience she had there because she said after this she just refused to to sleep at her parents house um so she was awoken one night by the neighbor's dog barking and she said when she woke up that she saw the the tuxedo uh, apparition, you know, standing over her bed, sort of leaning over it, and you know where its head is. Uh, instead of like a man's head, you've got this, um, you know, gray, misty, head-shaped cloud. But it's leaning over her in a way that is unmistakable. You know that it would have to be facing her and looking down at her. You know. Um, and that, you know, that, that's sort of standard, but you could replace whatever, like you, you can replace that, that apparition with, um, you know, uh, a, a gray alien or a shadow person or whatever. And, uh, and it's basically the exact same story, you know, over, over and over again with all of these different uh, sort of, of um, you know, masks on. It's just the same story wearing different masks. And so that to me was, was just fascinating uh, because it, you know, seemed to be this very strong commonality between all of these seemingly disparate phenomena, but it also uh, seems to sort of reinforce the idea that on some level uh, observation is, is very, very important to whatever is, is happening, you know, because again, you've got people basically um, who wake up and often, you know, it doesn't feel like they should be awake. Uh, you know, in Quinn's case, she was uh, woken up by uh, a barking dog, you know. Um, you know, I've had other uh, witnesses um, say that they either, you know, woken up seemingly for, for no reason. Uh, you know, sometimes people will, will be woken up by lights and things, but it doesn't really seem uh, very purposeful. You know, it doesn't seem like, something is necessarily waking them up on purpose to have them awake so much as they just happen to wake up during this experience of being observed for whatever reason and, uh, and see whatever they see. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's, it's hard to say sort of what the point of that is um, because, you know, it does seem very strange on the surface uh, why things would want to just stand around watching us. Um, but who knows, you know, frankly, um, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, you know, I mean, even, I don't even know what necessarily we should be taking away from the uh, commonality of, of this, of, of these stories, you know, of the, the nighttime visitation or, or, or observation experiences, because, you know, I, I won't tell someone that they're all the exact same literal thing. You know, I, I don't think that ghosts and, uh, and aliens and uh, cryptids or, or whatever all, you know, have to be, um, you know, the exact literal same uh, phenomenon, you know, in, you know, say like ultra terrestrials or, or, or whatever. I think that they very likely 
are related in some way. Um, you know, even if that way is, you know, how uh, bears and and uh, and wolves live in the same forest, but bears aren't wolves and, and wolves aren't bears. They're just animals who inhabit the same ecosystem. You know, it's possible that what we're dealing with is a, a variety of beings that um, are just inhabiting the, the the same ecosystem. You know, even if that ecosystem is is something like uh, consciousness, for instance. Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, you know, the whole thing with um, shadow people and all this type of thing, and and there's the idea of a spiritual attachment or a parasite, and you know, so maybe I, you know, I was kind of thinking about this the other night that maybe these things, you know, the whole as above so below concept that you know what is on earth is reflected in heaven or and vice versa, you know, that kind of old occult philosophy. It could apply to all this phenomenon. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, you know, it's it. It for me. What am I trying to say here? For for me, it's um, it's difficult to try to make out even exactly what we're observing. You know, as we're being uh, observed or or interacted with. You know, because for instance, like you take the the appearance. Of, uh, of, of these entities, right? And I don't know if that's what they actually look like. So I don't know if the thing uh, that Quinn saw actually um, was uh, actually looked objectively like this gray misty thing in a, in a tuxedo. Um, or, you know, if, if uh, when people see, you know, these, these aliens or, or um, you know, like the traditional sort of well, traditional now, but whatever, like these gray aliens um, or shadow people or, or whatever, if that's actually sort of what it objectively looks like, or if that's just what we perceive it as, you know, um, for instance, uh, you know, what if we're dealing with with something or a, a group of, of some things that uh, sort of interacts with us primarily using uh, consciousness as a, a medium uh, that either uh, appears whatever like or that appears however it, 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 it wants or um, appears uh, however we want uh, sort of based on on our expectations or some weird combination of those or you know I I speculate about even you know maybe some weirder stuff in there you know like there for instance, the idea that uh, fairies, right, like in fairy lore, were once thought to potentially be spirits of the dead, you know, and, and I'm not saying that everything is fairies, right, because that's no better than saying everything is demons or whatever else. Yeah, that's that's Joshua Cutchin's stick is everything is fairies. <laughs> right. He's the everything is fairies guy. But, but it's 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 interesting to think about. So you know, well, and fairies are actually there. I think they're a really great uh, sort of way to um, uh, sort of contextualize and present all of the weird uh, commonalities between uh, uh, anomalous phenomena. Because when you look in fairy lore, it sort of encapsulates everything that I'm talking about, right? You know, so there are are parts of it that sort of mimic. Uh, uh, ghosts and hauntings. There are parts of it that sort of mimic like alien abduction or UFOs or even cryptids and, and all kinds of weird stuff. 
And of course, that isn't to say that, you know, everything is, is, is fairies, like I said. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it is to say that I think we can use that lore as a sort of tool um, or guide almost to sort of help us imagine the possibilities here. So, you know, again, like you, you think about uh, people, you know, uh, uh, exploring the possibility of, of fairies, you know, being spirits of the dead. And that got me thinking like, okay, well, let's, let's sort of take this to its logical conclusion, right? Like what if some, like what if fairies are spirits of, of, of the, the dead? What if that is what, what uh, people were seeing, you know, and what if we can become fairies when we die? And then why would we have to only become fairies? What if we could become uh, uh, greys or, or mothman or, or anything we want? Because the transhumanistic uh, possibilities of existing sort of only as consciousness would seem to allow for anything. Like there's no reason at all why people would have to necessarily still appear human. I get why most of them would, would want to or how we would end up that way, but it never made, you know, it just doesn't make sense for that to be the only possibility. And so, you know, what if there are things that were, were never human that, um, you know, have, have sort of always existed uh, as, as, you know, consciousness or, or sort of in this, this, this ecosystem of consciousness, if you think of consciousness as a sort of universal force that exists outside of our, our physical bodies, you know, what would they be able to do? Um, practically anything that they want from our perspective. And then what if, you know, once people pass away, they are really fully immersed in that, that sort of same, uh, ecosystem of, of consciousness. And then what, what would they be able to do? All of the same crazy stuff that the, the entities that we had been uh, uh, sort of interacting with uh, while we were corporeal were doing, you know? So there's a lot of really strange possibilities there. And, you know, I, I, I don't know that, um, you know, I would, I would come right out and say, well, this is firmly what I believe because, you know, I mean, come on, I don't necessarily have any, have any uh, evidence of that, but this is the kind of stuff that I absolutely love to, to speculate about um, because, you know, a, a lot of it fits. And I think that through speculation, um, you know, being able to entertain an idea without uh, a fully endorsing it even really, um, or, or, or certainly without necessarily uh, giving it the full weight of your belief, I mean, I think that's what gets us closer, right? Like that's what gets us closer to, you know, maybe finding the, the truth uh, behind what's, what's actually going on. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's one for me that I could, I could think about, you know, and have for hours and, and, and hours because it just it allows for so many different possibilities. Um, and, you know, certainly there's, there's no uh, shortage of, of, you know, sort of strange one-off uh, cred uh, credible uh, creature sightings and, uh, and UFO occupant encounters and just all, you know, well, high strangeness, like all of these different high strangeness uh, experiences that people have with, with these entities. Um, it all sort of becomes a lot more possible to me, you know, um, despite 
the 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 witness's uh, uh, credibility, which often can be you know quite high. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, they all sort of just become, uh, uh, like I said, seemingly more more possible when you think about it in terms of a phenomenon that would be as malleable, you know, as 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 you know, something that that was interacting with us through consciousness and sort of was of uh, uh, consciousness and, and could manipulate, you know, our perception or its form um, and uh, and just be whatever it wants, I guess. Do you have there's there's a few stories in the book where that looks like that's what is happening like the creature is just kind of like constantly shifting or forming into something else. Uh, I, I think there, there's one story that I think we'll talk about here. I think that's the one of the pine barrens, if I'm not mistaken, where they see the creature and it just kind of, they, they, they can't really register what it is because it seems to be just constantly kind of like shifting in a way. Yeah, that was one that actually came to me from my friend uh, Adam Benedict at uh, the Pine Barrens Institute, um, which is a, a research website that, that he runs. And, um, and so basically, it was this woman and, and her husband, and this was in Beloit, Wisconsin, um, and uh, or just outside of it, really. And uh, and she and her husband were driving along and they saw this, this weird animal in, in this field. And, uh, and so like they, they kind of look at it, do a double take, decide that they're going to turn around to look at it again. Cause they wasn't like, they, they just weren't sure what it was. And, uh, and so they managed to turn around and, and they, they, uh, they go by it again and they end up pulling over and looking at this thing. And at first, you know, um, they thought maybe it was a, a mountain lion or like a large dog or a bear or something. And this thing, you know, sort of approaches them. And this woman says that uh, it looked sort of chimeric, frankly, because it sort of had all these uh, different aspects of, 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 of different animals. Um, and so she couldn't really put her finger on exactly what it was. And she said that it was difficult even to a point for her to perceive it. Like the harder she tried to focus on this thing, the more difficult it was for her to be able to see it. And that it even sort of became like pixelated. Right, right. Um, which is just bizarre, you know, yeah. obviously. You know, and, and, and it affected her husband to the point where, afterwards he just decided that it was a large dog and he never wanted to talk about it again. Um, and so it clearly had a, a profound effect, you know, on, 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 on these folks. But, um, but yeah, no, that was, that was a very interesting one for me. Um, there's also weird, there's also weird occurrences where people will, one person will see it and another person just will not. That's another aspect that's strange. That is strange, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's definitely happened. Usually when that happens to personally on an investigation, it's because I was the only one that happened to be looking in a certain direction. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you're talking about, you know, two people 
in the same room and only one of them sees an, an apparition or something that seemingly should have walked in front of both of them, um, then, then yeah, you know, I, 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 I think that that assuming the, the witness's credibility, of course, um, and, and, and the, the veracity or authenticity of, of their testimony, um, then, yeah, I, I do think that sort of points towards this sort of interaction through consciousness. Um, you know, I, something else I, I talk about in the, the uh, book um, that, uh, that's, that's very much in line with this is altered states of, of consciousness, right? And so, you know, if, if you sort of think about how it could be that one person uh, sees this thing and, and the other person doesn't, you know, um, you know, maybe only one of them was in the, the necessary state of, of consciousness to be able to see it. Because I think when people hear the phrase altered state of consciousness, right? Like they think about, I don't know, getting high or something. And, and, and that's not right. really what it has to be. I mean, we're every one of us enters into several different altered states of consciousness every single day of everything from daydreaming to highway hypnosis uh, to, to falling asleep and, and dreaming and waking up, you know, these are all altered states of consciousness. Right. Yeah. People don't realize that it's just like the, what that means. I mean, it's, it's a wide variety. Like you said, I mean, dreaming is an altered state and we do that every night even if we remember it or not. Oh, definitely. You know, yeah. and so some, uh, you know, something that I've, I've noticed in, uh, in my own research is the kinds of activities that are seemingly typical for people to be participating in when they have their experience. So one I touched on already um, is either, you know, being asleep or, uh, or waking up or falling asleep. Um, but, Another one is just kind of going about their business, often driving, you know, and so that really got me thinking about uh, highway hypnosis, which is just another um, uh, way to say, you know, well, that experience that you have where, say, you're driving and you reach a point where you're like, wow, I don't remember like the last 10 minutes of this drive, Um and it happens. It happens to all of us. It happens all the time. Yeah, I've had that happen to me. Yeah. And so you've got this, this altered state of consciousness that people routinely enter into. Um, and you've also got so many experiences that happen while people are driving, you know, um, or just going about their business in general. Like, you don't necessarily have to be driving for this to happen. Um, any task that uh, sort of uh, takes up the, the focus of your, uh, your, your physical self, right? Driving or just strolling or, or something, but allows your mind to wander can, can get you into this altered state of consciousness, right? So, so many of these encounters come from people who are just kind of out going about their, their business and they're not looking for this to happen, right? Um, and, and yet it does. And I can't help but think that there's some kind of connection where they, they slip into the, uh, the altered state of consciousness necessary to, to sort of have this kind of experience. And maybe that's why so often uh, in, those, like in those specific scenarios where people are just kind of out and about going about their, their business, 
why so often the encounter seems accidental. Because when 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 you look at those encounters, for the most part, uh, other than you know like abduction scenarios or or your your visitation or contactee uh, uh, experiences, they often seem very accidental. They don't seem to involve. Um, you know, observation in, in the same way that, you know, like nighttime visitation experiences do, uh, it very much seems like, you know, people are just kind of out and about, um, uh, uh, going for a walk or something one night. And next thing you know, they're tripping over Mothman or Bigfoot, or in one case, uh, a gentleman I I spoke to in, in Springfield, Illinois, uh, was chased by this, uh, humanoid right of, of what looked to be like a flying moat, um, you know, all, all manner of, of high strangeness. But it, even that, even in that case, the encounter seemed very accidental, you know, where he just happened to be sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time with maybe just the right altered state of, of consciousness to actually have this experience. Yeah, I can see that as a as a very feasible thing that maybe you just become more open and it reveals or it I don't know, lack of a better term, the veil lifts, I guess you could say. Um I did want to ask you though too, you you bring this up a couple of times in the a few times in the book about people's perceptions of this phenomenon, especially the Mothman, quote unquote Mothman. Um as being like evil omens, but you don't really see anything like that. Like if that's more of a popular, of a popular culture notion that is just kind of seeped in there. Sure. So when, when, when you look at the idea of the Mothman as, as harbinger of doom, right. As this sort of this, this portent of, uh, of, of disaster, um, there, well, there doesn't really seem to be any credible evidence to support that. You know, it, it, it goes back obviously to the, the 66 to 67 point pleasant, uh, um, Mothman flap. Right. And so then obviously in December of 1967, you have the very tragic, uh, and, and impactful, uh, collapse of the, the silver bridge, which killed um, about four dozen people. I think it was 47. Um, and so since then people have uh, uh, conflated that event with the, the, uh, the, the Mothman sightings. And that's pretty much exclusively because of the, the narrative um you know, provided by, by John Keel in, in the Mothman prophecies, you know, uh, there are people that I, I know friends of mine who have done good work in, in sort of researching what people were actually talking about back then. Um, and I got to tell you, nobody in Point Pleasant was talking about uh, Mothman having anything to do with that bridge collapse when it actually happened. Now, years later, Keel writes his book and Hey, I loved reading Keel. Uh, growing up, you know, he's one of my biggest influences um, uh, in in terms of uh, of of writing about the anomalists or or Fortean subjects. Um, and he was an excellent storyteller, very very entertaining storyteller. But I think you know, if you critically evaluate some of his work, he also never let the truth get in the way of a good story. 
And so as a storyteller, he sees that likely he, you know, he's going to need an ending to this narrative. Um, and because there's nothing people like more than a, a tidy narrative, people want a beginning, middle and, and end. And unfortunately, these phenomena do not provide tidy narratives. They don't deliver us a satisfying ending ever. And so at least not that, 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 that I've seen. And so, you know, he's got this event um, that, uh, that he can use as an uh, uh, ending to his narrative and, and he uses it. Um, and so that really got the ball rolling on, uh, on people discussing, you know, Mothman as this, this harbinger of doom. But again, there's really nothing to, to support that. Um, that was further exacerbated by the, the movie that, that came out. Um, right, right. Uh, written uh, by uh, Richard Hatem, who's a mm-hmm. great guy, obviously. Oh, yeah. Super, yeah. super nice guy. I've had Richard on the show a few times, actually. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a super great guy. And, you know, he, he added some stuff in there, right? So he, he added some, some fictional uh, occurrences, um, like people seeing Mothman before the Galveston hurricane and before Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now, I mean, that, that Chernobyl thing has really snowballed to where you've got people talking about it, uh, uh, especially online, as though it's this really well-documented, well-supported event, um, when in actuality, uh, and I would love for somebody to prove me wrong here, but I've never been able to find one single person uh, who's ever been documented as saying that they actually saw it, or even an, an investigator who said that they talked to a person who said that they saw it. Um, it's always just like, oh, hey, did you know that it was also seen before Chernobyl? Um, so it's, you know, it, it's taken on this sort of urban legend or, or you know, internet folklore uh, uh, status at this point. And, uh, and has really contributed to that narrative of, of Mothman as Harbinger of Doom. But the reality of it is, uh, at least in terms of, of winged humanoid sightings in that area, uh, nothing stopped when the, the, the Silver Bridge collapsed. People continued to see Mothman. They continued to see UFOs uh, in, in that area all along the uh, uh, Ohio River Valley. Um, and so there's really just nothing at all to support the idea that uh, those winged humanoid sightings had anything to do with that disaster or, or, or any other. I mean, terrible things happen uh, every single day, uh, uh, thousands of times every day with nary a winged humanoid in sight. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, it, it just it, it never made any sense, but it did make for a really good book. And I, so that's what people say now. Because I remember that whenever the 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 winged humanoids were being seen all over Chicago. People were like, oh my God, what's gonna happen, Chicago? Something's gonna happen. And but you did have the one case with the lady that saw uh four of them right before 9-11, which was interesting. Yeah, right. Right. I mean, that connection is tenuous at, at best. That was something where after the fact. Yeah, uh, it was her son, I think, who had seen the Mothman Prophecies movie or something. Was just like, oh wow, did you know? 
you know, like, like you saw those just before, like, like the day before September uh, 11th, um, you know, like, oh, gee, I wonder if, if it was connected. And so literally the only reason that the idea was brought up is because he saw the movie that contributed to the, the, the sort of, you know, uh, folklore narrative of Mothman as, as Harbinger of Doom, because otherwise with, without the presence of, of that existing narrative, they never would have connected those events because they're not connected. You know, here's one that uh, particularly stood out to me reading the book was the, uh, the fur covered one that the guy saw um, that he said that had like fur co- covering its face. Well, there was, I mean, there, there, there have been a couple, I think the one that you're referring to would have been February, 2019 in Woodstock, Illinois. Uh, this was a case that was actually really impactful for Emily and I, um, because, you know, this was one of the ones where we managed to go down there uh, and the witness uh, was very, very forthcoming and like took us around to the sighting area and everything. And so the, the experience that this, this gentleman had was he, uh, he had to run out to Walgreens. I think he was picking up some milk um, and he's headed home. Uh, it's it's eight o'clock or so in February, so it's dark out. Um, and as he's heading home, driving again, not really expecting anything, not paying attention for monsters or or anything like that, just zoning out driving. Um, he is crossing uh, the entrance of the Dewfield Pond Conservation Area. Uh, so along this road, you know, the way he was going to his right, there's this you know, pretty sizable conservation area called Dewfield Pond Conservation Area. And he, uh, as he is getting up to the entrance of it, uh, he sees step into the road, this uh, large hairy humanoid with these sort of le- like leathery membranous wings coming out of its back. And, uh, you know, this thing takes a few steps and is across the, the, the road. That's how big its stride was. And, uh, he got a pretty good look at it, um, you know, because it, it was illuminated by his headlights as he was coming up on it. It wasn't a, a very long sighting, you know, several seconds or so, but he said he got a really, really good look at it. Um, and so, you know, he was able to sort of draw its silhouette and, and everything later on. And um, what was so interesting to us, um, like about this particular case, and I, I'll speak for Emily a little bit here just because you know, we've talked about this at length and she's got on the record as saying it. What was so interesting about us or about this to us was that, you know, I, I talked to this guy on, on the phone and uh, he agreed to let us come down there. And, uh, and we went down and uh, we met him, we met his wife. Um, you know, they, they were kind enough to take us and, and show us the sighting area and everything, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, and, and everything. And, um, you know, these are professionals, um, you know, in, in, in their, their community, uh, very credible people. They had everything to lose, frankly, by, uh, by sharing this story and really nothing to gain sort of other than the cathartic release. I think that a lot of people get with being able to share these experiences in an environment and with people uh, absent of judgment. Um, and then of course we always do 
everything we can to, to try to help people understand these experiences, at least uh, insofar as, uh, as any understanding is uh, available or, or even possible. Um, and so, yeah, they, like, they were great. They, uh, they, uh, they, they showed us the sighting area and, and we did find one anomalous uh, footprint, which was, was very interesting. Um, but, you know, the thing that sticks with me the most is, and this is a, a relatively common experience as an investigator, uh, really, especially with the, the winged humanoid sightings, um, was speaking to this witness and being able to discern because it's just so obvious. It's all over his face. The, the fear and just the, 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 um, puzzle like the 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 puzzlement the everything about this is just alien and and terrifying often to people and there's no disguising it you know when 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 you actually get to speak with these witnesses like they've had these impactful powerful sometimes traumatic uh, experiences. And, and it's one thing, you know, to hear about it from, from me on a podcast or read about it in a book or something, but when you're actually face to face with another adult who, uh, is clearly terrified to tell you this story, you know, just is visibly shaken over their experience in broad daylight, you know, on an otherwise normal afternoon, um, it stays with you. You know, it, it, it adds a layer of, of credibility to the authenticity of their experience, you know, in, insofar as uh, I think you can really believe that they experienced something um, that, uh, that, that, that really made uh, a deep impression on them, you know, and, and it's very difficult to convey that, I think. But this is one of those that, that really really displayed that, um, for, for us. And so it's one of my favorite cases just for, for that reason alone, honestly. And it is a weird one. You're right. You know, um, because there is some, uh, variation in the description of, uh, of these winged humanoids, right. Um, you know, sometimes you've got something being described as, as thin, um, bordering on emaciated. Sometimes you've got something that people describe as very bulky, um, or well-muscled or, you know, even hairy. So, uh, who knows, but, uh, yeah, whatever it was, it uh, it had a real impact on, on this guy. I'm also interested in some of the pterodactyl sightings too. Like people are seeing, not only are they seeing men with wings, but they're seeing like literal prehistoric creatures. Well, and what's interesting about those too is again, like the, these people, they have no reason to be making these stories up. Like they're not getting anything out of it. You know, like they're, they're not making any money. Uh, they're anonymous. Um, and I, you know, people, these are people that I've spoken with directly. Right. So like, I, I know who they are, but um, they've asked me not to publish their name. So I, and I, I want to make that clear to people too. You know, if, if a witness uh, that I'm writing about is anonymous. Like they're not anonymous to me. I, I know who they are, but uh, uh, again, I, I respect people's privacy um, as anyone should. So 
But yeah, what's what's interesting about those uh, those pterosaur sightings, right, is that what people are describing, again, like seemingly in earnest, like I have no reason to believe that any of these people are lying or making anything up because it just doesn't make any sense. And there's no indication that, that, that they are. But what they're describing is like the old movie version of, of pterosaurs, right? Of, of, of pterodactyls and, and, and things. When, you know, uh, uh, modern paleontology paints a very different picture of, of what, of, of, of what these, these animals looked like, you know, um, even describing these sort of like uh, hair-like feathers and, and things. And like, nobody ever describes those. And so it's just really bizarre, right? Because they're, they're seeing these things that obviously um, at the very least are, are out of time, right? These, these anachronistic animals, um, but they're also seeing them in a way that we don't even know if that's how they existed. And it's possible uh, that that's not what they look like. The, the artistic depiction yeah, of, I mean, it, uh, of, of a pterosaur or a pterodactyl. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's literally how you saw pterodactyls in, you know, like King Kong in like the, in, in the thirties. Right. Yeah. Or the dinosaur books that we all grew up with, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's just so, it's so strange to me. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, I mean, is this another instance of sort of this, um, you know, uh, malleable like type of phenomenon that uh, is conforming itself to their, to their expectations? Like why that image specifically, right? Um, or is this some kind of, of misidentification? I mean, you know, that's definitely something that I, I cover with these witnesses, you know, where I'll be like, well, okay, here are some pictures of large birds, you know, like herons and, and cranes and things that look, you know, honestly pretty similar to something like that in flight. Is this what you saw? And all of them to a, a, a person say, no, no, it's not what I saw. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, without any photographic evidence, and certainly I wasn't there, uh, who am I to say, you know, that, that their, their description is, is incorrect. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's very, very puzzling because, you know, I, at first I, I would kind of consider, well, okay. Um, I don't think that there is any biological evidence for the persistence of, of these ancient species, right. You know, like for them to exist, you would need breeding populations and, and food sources. You would need like whole ecologies, you know, for these things to be around. And, and as large flying animals, if there was enough for a breeding population, people would be seeing them and All we would time. know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we would know about it. Um, and so, you know, I was like, well, you know, are the, is this some kind of weird time slip, but now, you know, like it, it the, the descriptions don't really match, you know, what, uh, what modern science is, is telling us uh, they, they may have looked like. So, 
you have to get into even weirder territory. Um, you know, certainly I don't blame anyone who wants to write them off as a misidentification or something because that, I mean, that's fine. I can't prove it's not that anymore. I can't any more than I can prove it's not exactly what, what, what they describe. So people can believe whatever they want, obviously. But, uh, but yeah, you know, now I, I have to kind of get into the, the weirder territory of, you know, these, these phenomena that, seem to to interact you know th again through that medium of consciousness and 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 wonder if that isn't why what they're seeing matches the the hollywood version of of pterosaurs rather than the the uh sort of uh paleontologic oh boy paleontological oh i don't there know you know. That may or may not be a word everybody but the 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 modern science like paleontology's version of what of of what we suspect they 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 may have looked like yeah i can see that because the thing is, is that i think a lot of this stuff mimics popular culture and it, which is kind of more modern day mythology and it mimics that and i i could definitely i could definitely see that as a possibility so this has been very interesting, uh, Tobias. I, I kind of want to get a little bit into your thoughts about a chapter about the maddening nature of fairies and your thought about kind of maybe the combination between the kind of fairy lore and the things that you're, that you're seeing. Right. Well, I mean, that's, um, that's, that's honestly what I was talking about before where fairy lore acts as I think an excellent example of all of these seemingly disparate phenomena from ghosts to UFOs to alien abduction to shadow people and whatever sort of existing within this one set of, of lore, right? So when you, you, you look at fairies, you can see examples uh, of all of these, these different things. And, um, and that's, sort of what what got me thinking of course you know like i talked about before the the fairies and and and, and the the dead but you know i think fairies serve as a really good example also of not just the 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 commonalities between these things but also the the narratives that uh that that we as human beings uh place on on these phenomena right so you know, um, just because somebody experienced a, a certain phenomenon that we, we seem to still be experiencing today, uh, and back then they, they called it a, a fairy, and now we call it, um, you know, alien abduction or, or whatever, you know, um, doesn't mean that either one of us is necessarily correct. It just means that uh, the circumstances of our environment, you know, so uh, everything from um, our level of education to the level of technology and, and sort of everything we have in our society, in our culture, colors our perspective when it comes to interpreting these things. And due to how they interact with us, it might even decide what they look like, right? So, I mean, that that sort of is what fairies uh, are to, to, to me, at least in this context, you know, they're just this really great example 
of this, this overarching narrative that encapsulates every bit of, of weirdness that, that we still experience today, you know, and that doesn't mean that everything is fairies again, like any more than it means that everything is demons or, or angels or, or anything else that we don't know to exist. Um, but it is, again, it's a very, very interesting example of, uh, of, of the commonalities between these, these phenomena and the narratives that, that we choose to apply to them. Yeah, it's very interesting. I always love examining this stuff. And uh, I want to thank you for coming on, Tobias. You really do your research, and I really respect that. And I think that um, it's also good, I think, that you don't jump to conclusions. So I think that that's, I think that that is very important. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. I mean, th- thank you. You know, like that, that, that means a lot. Obviously I, I love coming on the, the show just for that reason, you know, to be able to, to, to speak with somebody um, who, sh- who, who shares that perspective. Um, and certainly it's, it's very important to me, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and we are seeing some good examples of it in the, the, the field today. So I think there's lots of room for optimism there, but still, I, I, I love hearing that obviously. So thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, tell people where they can find the book and where they can find out about the singular 14 society. Sure. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the singular 14 society or, you know, more about what we do, you can keep up to date with the latest news on what we're up to, uh, through social media. So you can find us on Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. Uh, you can also visit our website, singular40n.com. You'll find all the latest uh, paranormal and Fortean news from around the world, as well as feature articles. Uh, you can find our books on there at uh, singular40n.com slash books. Um, you can also find those on Amazon, but if you want them signed by the author, uh, you're going to have to get them through our, our website or find us at a, a conference or something, although those are... Um, not as uh, prevalent these days uh, due to COVID, but should be bouncing back. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully very, very soon. Yeah. Yeah. purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.